0: Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be together again. I want to say hi to you all and, and a special hi to those who are joining us from Kenya this morning. Or if you're watching on YouTube or catching up with us on a podcast, then also just to say we're so glad you could be with us this morning. Welcome to Living Rock Church. Uh, my name is David and this morning we will be continuing our series that we've called Gospel Encounters uh, in this series we're looking at some of Jesus's meetings some of his interactions with with ordinary people like you and me so I trust you'll be really equipped and encouraged this morning because we're going to be reading an incredible true story that we that we find in the first uh, in the second chapter of John um, in which Jesus turns water into wine. Um, And John tells us that this takes place at the end of the first week of Jesus's public ministry. So enjoy this reading. Uh, Turn with me if you can to John chapter 2 and we'll read from verses 1 to 11. It says, On the third day a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus's mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification, Each contained twenty to thirty gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. And when the chief servant tasted the water, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who'd drawn the water knew. And he called the groom and he said to him, Everybody sets out the fine wine first, and then after people have drunk freely, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus performed this first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. It's an amazing story, isn't it? I've never tried winemaking. I did have a rather disastrous attempt at beer making when I was a student, but never winemaking. And I'm sure it's a great hobby, but it does seem to be rather a strange miracle, doesn't it? And of course, there's some Christians wish Jesus had never done this because it really messes with their theology. But that to one side, um, it does seem strange because um, at first sight, it seems far less essential than some of his other miracles, You think of his healings, of his feeding of crowds, of his deliverance ministry, of the way he restored people, forgave people, even raised people from the dead. And those things seem to be far more essential. But this was his first miracle. And therefore it is of great significance. And and note that John has taken great care to give us lots of really important details. Because this is not just a miracle. In fact, John calls it a sign in verse 11, a sign and an essential one. In other words, this story has an amazing immediate meaning and purpose, but it also points towards, points ahead towards something much more. In other words, it's a story in two dimensions. And in the immediate first place, it is a true story about transformation about the power of Jesus to take what's ordinary, what's simple, what's commonplace and everyday, in this case, water, and turn it into something rare, exceptionally good, something fine, the best fine wine. Um, The particular context of this story is is a wedding feast in Cana, the particular characters uh, the guests, the groom, the, the disciples, Mary. And there's a particular crisis. The, the, they've run out of wine. The, the groom faces the prospect of being ashamed and embarrassed by this situation. So it has a very particular context and characters and a particular crisis. But, but it contains within it the keys to the transformation of any ordinary situation involving any people in any moment of need or crisis and in any context, because Jesus specialises in that. He's he's creator of all things, and he has power and authority over everything. And Jesus can turn water into wine just as easily as he can turn despair into hope, or loss into gain, or, or sickness into health, or even a painful past into a fantastic future. Jesus can bring change and transformation wherever it's needed. So I trust you'll let this story really speak to you today. And especially if you're in any situation that needs transformation, maybe you face a particular challenge or crisis. Maybe you're longing for some breakthrough in something. Maybe something needs to shift. Maybe it's in in the family or, or in business or in marriage or in relationships. Or even in your thoughts, anxious thoughts, hopeless thoughts, or maybe maybe your life just seems really ordinary, really everyday and commonplace, and and actually you long for something much more, much more special, much rarer, much finer, much more memorable. I don't know whether when we read through the story you, you spotted some of those keys, but I just see a few simple statements in here. Um, in this particular story that I think apply to all of us needing breakthrough uh, or change or transformation in, in any aspect of our lives. First of all, we're, we're told that a wedding takes place in verse two, it says, and that Jesus and his disciples were invited. Now, this miracle could could never have happened uh, unless Jesus was there. The wine would have run out. The bridegroom would have been embarrassed or ashamed. The guests would probably have gone home early and and the marriage may well have got off to a shaky start but Jesus was there, he was invited and that made everything, anything possible and I believe if we want to position ourselves for change or transformation if we want to position ourselves for life in all its fullness then we first have to invite Jesus to be part of what we're doing We have to invite him into our marriages, into our jobs, into our family, into our parenting, into our homes, into our situations. We have to make Jesus Lord of everything and submit it all to him. We have to ask him to take control, to lead the way. We have to realise that lordship is not a vague theological concept. It's a daily practice. And if something needs to change or shift, we must get Jesus involved. We must give the situation over to Him. We must, we must pray, Lord Jesus, please come and be with me in this situation and and do what only You can do. That's the first thing. And then, and then it tells us that the situation was one verse four in which, uh, verse three, I beg your pardon, in which in which the wine had run out. In other words, what they had, what they had was was used up, was exhausted. Their supplies, their resources had run out. And I guess we've all felt like that from time to time where we reach the end of ourselves, where we, where we find all that I had, all that I could throw at this has, has come to an end. And when we reach the end of ourselves, but, but preferably long before then, we must ask him to step in. In other words, our natural provisions have to run out so that his divine provision can take over. If we keep trying in our own limited strength, we'll never see his miraculous provision. We have to recognise our need without delay. And if we're wise, we soon realise we don't have it all and we really need him. Maybe you feel you're in a situation and the wine has run out. Uh, maybe you feel embarrassed or ashamed or maybe things have got off to a shaky start or become shaky. Maybe life feels flat with no sparkle. Well, if so, the, you know, there's, there's no better place to be if you want to experience the intervention of Jesus. And then in verse five, we get the, we get the killer line, don't we? Uh, do whatever he tells you. Mary knows that Jesus can do something really extraordinary if they'll do whatever he tells them. Because obedience unlocks miracles. Obedience unlocks miracles. You know, at key moments in in my life and in our married life, Deborah and I, when we've really needed God to do something miraculous, to break through, to change something, uh, that seemed humanly impossible. When um, when I changed jobs a couple of times, when I left my old work to pursue his call, when we were looking to God for the healing of one of our sons who was born deaf, we've had to do, I've had to do whatever he asked us to do. Obedience unlocks miracles. And so when we face a challenge or a crisis, or when we know we're living in the ordinary and not the best that he has for us, then let's be those who quickly invite him in, quickly admit our limitation and get ready to do whatever he says. And i found that Jesus never complicates things. He just asks us to do whatever he says. And And we can hear his voice. We can hear his voice in his word, in the scriptures. We can hear his voice as we pray. We can hear him in the wisdom of the elders. We can hear him speak to us even in dreams. You and I are filled with his spirit, and he's a spirit who speaks. Sometimes the voice of God may seem loud, unmissable. Sometimes it may just be a still, small whisper. But if we listen carefully, it's equally unmissable. And I think that when we stop trying to control things and manage things and turn off the background noise and switch off the other voices, then it becomes easy to hear him. I want to urge you to ask him to speak and then listen and do what he says. Maybe he'll tell us to stop or to pause or to go ahead or maybe to put right a wrong or make a call or send an email or, or trust him or end your involvement or end a relationship or or even just to speak blessing over your situation or change your attitude in it, or maybe to do something that just doesn't even seem logical, fill those jars with water. I am learning that the greatest peace, the greatest security, the greatest blessing comes from listening and obeying him as soon as possible. And we mustn't miss this. He says, "Do um, fill the jars with water. And it says, they filled them to the brim, verse seven. I love that phrase, that they didn't just fill those jars, but they filled them to the brim. I believe Jesus wants his followers to be really, really passionate, to be those that obey him and follow him and do it with zeal and enthusiasm to the very best of our ability, right up to the maximum with all that we have to the brim and then watch the transformation unfold. So in in the first place, in the immediate, this is a fantastic story that contains vital keys for all of us. And I pray you will know his intervention, his breakthrough, his transforming power in your life and situation. But as I said at the beginning, there's another dimension to all this. This is a sign. It's, there's a much bigger picture for us to see because this if I could say it, it's more than a miracle. It is a sign, verse 11. In other words, this story is not the end point. It's not even the main thing. This story is here to point the way to something else. It is a signpost. It's a window into something bigger, something more eternal. So I want now to consider uh, what this story points us towards and to say some things that I believe are especially relevant to us right now in this season. The first thing, quite simply, is that it seems to me this story is a massive affirmation of biblical marriage. It says something really profound, that Jesus performs his first sign, his first miracle, he first displays his glory at a wedding. God designed and blessed biblical marriage as part of his creation, to be the backbone of stable society, to be the centre of thriving family life. And surely this first miracle is nothing less than a massive thumbs up to biblical marriage, as well as being a prophetic picture of the wedding feast that will take place when Jesus comes again and is reunited with his bride, the church. So let's let this be a reminder to honour our marriages, to honour marriage, to invest in our own marriages, to encourage others in theirs, at this time to prefer one another, to speak well to and of each other, to stay pure in thought and deed, to extend ample grace in this season that we're in and really invest in our marriages. And then I think this story shows us something of Jesus's bigger concerns. It's a really um, interesting little conversation he has with his mother, isn't it? She tells him they've run out of wine in verse three. He says in verse four, what has this concern of yours to do with me? And Mary, you see, is is concerned that they've they've run out of wine. She's concerned for the groom's honour, the groom's dignity. But I think even in the first week of his ministry, Jesus is concerned about far bigger issues. Now those things may be legitimate things, but they're not, they're not his main concern. Jesus is concerned that humanity has run out of answers. And he's concerned for the honor and dignity of men and women everywhere. And we may have many concerns right now, many legitimate concerns, but let's ensure our concerns never eclipse his big concerns. Let's ensure that what inconveniences us doesn't dominate us. God is good all the time. And these are days of mission, days of harvest. He's concerned that we trust him, that we love him, that we live in peace and that we love our neighbors. And then I think this story points to the cross because here in Cana, the best wine is poured out of these stone water jars to meet the immediate physical needs of the wedding guests. But just three years later at the cross, the blood of Jesus will be poured out for the eternal spiritual needs of all humanity. We know the cross has changed everything We know that Jesus defeated sin and death. We know that Jesus triumphed over the enemy, the thief who came to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus has defeated him, disarmed him, disgraced him, disabled him, and he did it all on the cross. And he comes that we might have life in abundance. Friends, that is our message. And there's never been a more opportune time to share it with family, with friends, with our neighbours. I just want to say to all of us that are listening today, Jesus has come, that you might have his abundant life. Then fourthly, this story points towards new wine. You know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, new wine always signifies gladness, freshness, blessings and abundance. And I believe Jesus wants to live full of these things. He does want us to enjoy life to the full. And there's a a very clear sense in which his earthly ministry represented new wine. It brought a new era of new power, of new authority, of, of new grace, new compassion, new covenant, and a new manifestation of the love of God for the world. And the old religious systems simply couldn't contain him. And you see that in this story, there's hints of that in the detail of the story. So, Jesus launched his church as a new wineskin to contain his life and his mission. And he poured his spirit into his church to empower us. And I believe that now, hundreds of years later, every fresh move and outpouring of the Holy Spirit is another outpouring of new wine and needs a new wineskin to contain it. I believe God is doing new things amongst us at this time, and we must find appropriate new wineskins to contain all this over the coming months. And at Living Rock Church, we will not return to all our old patterns. God has something far more appropriate for all of us. And I just want to tell you, I'm really excited by that. And then finally, this this great story with its immediate meaning, its immediate purpose and its pointing towards bigger things is an invitation to come and see, to come to Jesus and see who he really is, what he's really like, And what he can really do. And I just want to show you the build-up to this story in the second half of chapter 1. First of all, in verse 34, John 1.34, John the Baptist says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And he tells Andrew, one of his disciples at that time, to look at the Lamb of God in verse 36. And Andrew and another disciple begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus asks them, what are you looking for? Verse 38. And they reply, where are you staying? The word they use there, where are you staying? It means where are you abiding? Where do you you remain? Where, where uh, Where are you staying and abiding and remaining and resting? And Jesus says in verse 39, come and you will see. Then Andrew finds his brother Simon Peter and brings him to Jesus. And then Jesus finds Philip and Philip finds Nathanael. And he tells Nathanael all about Jesus. But Nathanael is sceptical. So Philip urges him in verse 46, come and see. And when Nathanael meets Jesus, he's blown away, isn't he? Because Jesus clearly already knows him. And Nathanael is amazed by that. And then Jesus says this to Nathanael in verse 50. He says, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. I assure you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's a reference back to Genesis 28 where Jacob has a dream of of a ladder and angels ascending and descending and heaven and earth are connected and and this place he calls it Bethel, he calls it the house of God, he calls it the gateway to heaven. So chapter 1 ends with an invitation from Jesus to come and see and a promise from Jesus that his followers will see greater things and then chapter 2 starts. And it's three days later, or maybe your version says the next day. And they're together at a wedding in Cana. And Cana is the hometown of Nathanael. John 21 tells us that. And they're all about to see something so out of the ordinary that they'll never forget it. They're about to see that Jesus bridges the gap between heaven and earth. He is the gateway and he's like no other. He has power over natural things. He can transform anything. They're about to see where Jesus really lives, not the house he was in, but the place he really lives, the place he really abides, the place he really dwells in, which is in his father's presence. His home, where he stays, where he remains, is in the will of God. His food is doing his father's business. That's how he can move in miracle power because he dwells, he stays in his father's presence. And later they'll discover that they can live there too. And Nathaniel is about to discover that when Jesus is present, even his hometown can experience transformation. let, Let that be an encouragement to us concerning our towns and villages. I want to say in closing that today, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your situation, Jesus says, come and see. He invites you to come to him, to follow him. He invites you to see him in action. He invites you to be with him, to see where he lives, where he abides, his place of peace and power in his father's presence and to stay there with him. He invites us to join him in his mission. He asks us to welcome him into our homes, into our families and our towns, and to invite him into our situations, our challenges, our crises, our ordinary lives, and to come and see the difference he makes. Please don't hold back. Please invite Jesus in today. Please let's let him transform things. And let's start to enjoy some new wine. I'd love to pray for you this morning and I'd love you to join me in prayer. And if, if in doing so you feel we could help you in any way, then please uh, feel free to get in touch with us. You can email us at findlife at livingrock.church. Let's close in prayer together and say, Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you came, that we might have life in all its fullness. Thank you that you demonstrated that you could transform any situation into which you're invited. And I pray that for all who are reaching to you for for change, for breakthrough, for shift, for life in fullness, I pray that today we will know your presence as we invite you in. We'll know your presence and know your touch and your blessing in our situations. Amen. Thank you. May God bless you. Have a brilliant day today. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.